This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. Next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? My name is Brandon Moak, and I'm from uh, Beaverton, Oregon. And Ron Moak, and I'm also from Beaverton, Oregon. And I'm Whitney LaRufa, better known as All Good, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. Right on. Well, this is a, a vocal podcast, so I know everybody can't see, but All Good's got his legs all spread out. And he's wearing a, wearing a hiking skirt right now, <laughs> and it's a little distracting, but... Uh, um, <laughs> uh, i'm glad you're over there yeah yeah yeah. Uh, be glad i wear underwear <laughs> let's talk about six moon designs um who is who is six moon designs ron so six moon designs the company i formed in 2002 um when ultralight gear was sort of in its infancy and go light had been out for a little bit and we decided we wanted to see if we could create a tent because, you know, there wasn't anything offering the tents at that time that were lightweight, really, and were available in a wide variety of, um, for people and easily accessible. So that was our mission. Well, I, I want to get back to that yeah. um, because this is a huge part of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really want to kind of introduce everybody else as well. Yeah. Um, who are you, Brandon? So I'm Brandon Moke. I'm his son, and I started working the company about – uh, 2007, uh, as the company started to expand, and the, uh, Ron couldn't do it all on his own. He needed to bring somebody else in, so I joined the company then to help out. And so, what do you actually? What's, what's your title? Uh, current title, I guess, operations manager. But uh, when I first started the company, I was just kind of uh, grunt number one, I suppose, just helping out, <laughs> doing with whatever whatever uh, duties needed to be done. I still do that kind of to, to some extent, but uh, back in the day, it was a lot more of uh, just making whatever needed to be made in order to get the tents done. So yeah, we were running out of our house at the time, and so yeah, oh, well, that's, just yeah. two people. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So. In 2007, you were still at that level. Yeah. yeah, we we grew very slow. We were trying to push it really hard, so we were still learning the ropes, learning how to design, learning how to manufacture, um, and small production runs. So now I don't know how many people you have working for you uh, in house or wherever, but uh, we do have a third person here uh, at the table. All good. What are you doing for the company and how did you fit in? Uh, I joined the company back in August of this year and I am the sales and marketing manager for the company. Uh, So I handle all of our dealer sales, all of our marketing direct to consumer, also supporting our dealer network. Um, So I really came on board to work with Brandon to kind of be the the second person in-house to help drive the company forward now. Yeah, that's good. I have one thing, I, I just to point out real quick, uh, you know, glossing over all this amazing content that we can have here, uh, we're sitting here at All the West right now at the gathering, mm-hmm. and you guys came out with a T-shirt, right? Can somebody talk about that, uh, what's going on? Uh, yeah, so we developed a T-shirt, a Marina Wool T-shirt, um, that we uh, developed to specifically to donate and give back to the trail organizations. So we'll be donating the proceeds of the sales to uh, the ATC, PCT, and the CDTC. And something all the West. 
And some dollar west as yeah, well. Yeah, and just just a couple of things on those <laughs> shirt that Brandon maybe glossed over. They are a hundred percent merino wool. They are not a blend. Um, they're one of the highest quality merinos you can buy. They're very soft and silky. And um, the shirts sell on our website right now. I think we have them listed for fifty four dollars with free shipping. And out of that fifty four dollars, twenty dollars is what's being donated. Um, so we're making no money on those shirts. We're actually probably losing a little bit of money when it's all said and done. Uh, but we're all big supporters of the long distance trails. Ron's a through hiker. I'm a through hiker. Brandon section hike, both the PCT and the AT. Um, so we really care a lot about the trails. Um, so it's a way that we're trying to celebrate the 50th anniversary and making a meaningful impact by letting hikers get a really good deal on a probably $125 shirt would it usually be. And also then us giving money to the trails to help support them. That's pretty cool. And, and I also like how you used about three sentences. You gave their whole story. Thanks, all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so so that's that's big because the hikers that are hiking those trails are a big part of probably what's buying your product, right? right. Huh? Yeah. Well, we wanted to, to do merino wool on this one because whatever we produce, we want it to be usable by hikers. A lot of times you'll see promotional items like that, and it's really they just find some cheap thing and slow throw a logo on it or whatnot to make it look kind of cool. But what we want to do is produce the best quality shirt we could produce that would provide value to somebody and then um, that they could be comfortable and proud to wear as opposed to just something that they'll buy and then, you know, put in a drawer, you know, we'll see it for the rest of their life. I think the listeners can relate 100% to that. I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of work with the PCTA, and it seems like every time they give out a free T-shirt, it's always a cotton T-shirt, and, and that's all fine and dandy, and I love them, and I wear them from time to time, but, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, man, give me something I can wear out on the trail. So yeah. that's perfect. Uh, so let's dive back in then. Um, you know, before All Good, before Brandon, um, you know, you're talking – it was all out of your house from 2007. Yeah. So how many years were you were you doing that, and, and kind of how did it start? Well, 2002 is when I started um, and um, designing a tent initially and then getting in um, production. So I think 2003 was when we released the first tent um, in the, at the PCT kickoff. Um, it was a Europa uh, two-person tent. And weighed just over two pounds, um, and from there we added backpacks and revised tents and did all kinds of stuff. So we grew slowly. It was like anything at the time. None of us, none of us who were building at the time, that include tarp tents and Gossamer gear and those people, none of us were professional designers. And so we just, you know, we were DIYers. We made our own gear, you know. And then when you're making gear for yourself you have a standard, but when you're making gear for somebody else, you have to have a higher standard. And we had to learn that, and we had to learn how to product, produce things and go into production, things like that. So it was a slow growth for everybody. And fortunately, it, it worked out for us. And Yeah, absolutely. So. Can you talk a little bit, and maybe everybody can kind of touch on it, um, how from the, li the average listener, uh, my listeners, mm -hmm. they probably haven't even heard of Six Moon Designs. Yeah. Uh, not not for any other reason than the fact that maybe they shop at a big box store or whatever. Yeah. Can you talk about why your product's not there and, 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 and kind of that whole thing? Well, I started um, Six Moon Designs fairly late in my career. I spent a lot of years in high tech. And so when I finally got around to starting Six Moon Designs um, was after I did a 
uh, partial through hike of the AT or, or twice. I did the AT originally in 77. So um, back before people wow. were hiking the AT very much. Um, actually, my wife and I were the first couple that southbound the AT. And um, that's cool. So, and it, and well, the year we finished it, I think 50 people did it that year. Okay. And now thousands of people do it every year. So in 97, we went out and did a 700 mile section with the AT and took Brandon along. Um, and that was primarily to just sort of get back in and also celebrate that I survived cancer. And then, wow. and then in 2000, I went and did the PCT. And then 2002, I decided to uh, look at switching careers, get out of high tech and get into something that was a little bit less stressful. And so, um, but although starting a business is, has been a stress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and an unknown business with an unknown audience and all kinds of other stuff. But, you know, it was fun and it was creative and you could, you could learn a lot. So that's why we started Six Million Designs. And so. And then uh, kind of talk about the progression of, um, you know, some people might not be able to find it at a big box store. Yeah, well, we didn't, uh, because of the fact that we were, um, learning, you know, I'm, I'm not a designer by trade in terms of clothing or those kind of materials. I'm an engineer by trade in terms of, you know, analyzing problems that I wanted to learn stuff. And we came along, fortunately, right at the same time the Internet came along, which was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, in fact, we had a, we could put up a, a, a store, you know, for 10 bucks a month. For the actually when we did it, domains were like almost free, so and so we could put up a really cheap store. We nobody get, had six moon designs yet. No, nobody <laughs> had six moon designs, so we could get a store out there. We could go in there and sell back and forth. And I specifically wanted to sell direct for the most part because of the fact that I needed to have that loop between me and the consumer. Nice. So I get it out there. If a problem came up, I get back. I could analyze the problem, correct it, the next production run and get a loop. And when you're in a store situation, that adds another component to the loop, and you don't necessarily get back the feedback you need to. Um, so our goal was to, to, to improve our production, improve the designs, get the feedback, and then grow slowly over time so that we could get a better product um, in the long term. And I didn't, plus I didn't want a lot of stress. You know, I, I was late in life, and I didn't need to have a lot of stress, and I've tried to run the business total stress and Whitney will uh, hopefully att attest to that in terms of his sales thing yep. you know yeah. We yeah it's the most low stress sales job I've ever had in my life <laughs> so we want to we want to provide quality products but you know we we don't want to kill anybody in the process I spent 20 years in high tech I know what that's like Whitney spent a whole bunch of time years and years in, in wood sales and whatnot which is a high stress beat the hell out of you know sweat box type of a setup you know and nobody wants to deal with that you know not in this day and age when you got beautiful trees out here and you know that's good yeah and well, i think i think yeah. one thing too as far as the big box source for us goes is you know we're a smaller company we have limited staff um and you know what people don't probably realize is you get into like an rei because i used to sell them at another company and you got 475 stores 
you got PO deadlines you have to hit. I mean, you have a hiccup in production. You start getting penalized, things like that. So for a company our size, it's actually not really an ideal situation being a large, big box retailer. Um, we do have a handful of specialty retailers, more boutique type independent shops that we work with. And those are really our bread and butter. Um, we really like those shops too because we're not getting, like with our packs or our shelters, we're not getting lost in the wall of, you know, 80% of the wall being Osprey. And then you go to the 10 section and 75% is Big Agnes. And that's what people are going to gravitate to at like your REI or your EMS. Um, you know, our main dealer in Portland is the Mountain Shop. Their main sales guy is a triple crowner. He's used our gear and he can take the time to go and explain to somebody what our brand is, how to really fit one of our packs and customize it, the benefits of using one of our shelters use versus using a you know a big brand kind of shelter. Um, so for us overall, it's really a better fit for us to work with those independent shops. Kind of going back to what Ron was saying too, um, I can see how when when you were talking about that loop, the direct loop between the customer, mm -hmm. um, I, I would assume if somebody returned one of your tents theoretically to a big box store, mm -hmm. if that was where you were selling, then the big box store would look like a saint whenever they gave them a new tent or, or gave them, and then you guys would be cut out of that whole interaction, right? So, so now when somebody has a problem with a the tent, they can come to you guys directly and say, that company's amazing. Well, you also know why. Somebody returns something, you get an idea, you know, which is fine. Some, and I, Frankly, we sell a unique product, and, and um, it's not going to be everybody's best cup of tea, but we're also in a, a, a unique niche within the, the market, which is, for our point of view, good because the major players have come down into our area in, over the last 10 years or 15 years. Well, we go to OR show, and you'll see they'll come out with a tent or they'll come out with a pack. You'll see it for a year, and then it's gone because they – we can live and survive and grow very nicely on much smaller volumes than they can. You know, when they do a major production run, they got to sell, you know, 100,000 units. You know, we, we don't need to sell 100,000 units to be perfectly happy, you know, and make our book and, you know, pay for all the stuff we have to pay for. But they do. They have a big beast they got to feed. You know, we have a small beast and... You know, it's growing, but it, it doesn't have to have the demand that they have to have. And you can provide more niche mark, niche products in that market and satisfy uh, a hunger out there um, without having to sell, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 units. Well, getting away from the numbers and stuff, which I, I appreciate, um, let's talk about the product itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of go through some of the stages. So, you know, a single person tent, uh, uh, some of the packs, some, some of that kind of thing. You know, what, what, what do you guys have out there that, that the listeners are going to want? Uh, well, I think our number one selling single person tent would be our Lunar Solo. Um, it's, a nice it's a nice single wall tent. Um, does have a vestibule in the front, full netting, bathtub floor, weighs 26 ounces now. Um, and it retails for 200 bucks. So, you know, all of our tents, as you go through them, you'll realize that we have pretty lightweight tents. Um, but all of our tents are affordable. Same with our packs. And really the reason is, you know, Ron's philosophy, as he explained to me when I came on board, was why should you spend $600, $700 on a tent um, when you could use, you know, buy a perfectly good tent for $200 and then use $500 to have the experience of going on that trip. Wow. Um, so everything's really set up to be affordable. So the experience is more important to us than necessarily like making a piece of gear that maybe is like, you know, 
super trendy right now and very expensive. It's like we'd rather make something that's good, sustainable, and that is affordable. Um, so we make a variety of tents. We make three different, four different kind of tarp tents. We make the Gatewood Cape, which is a poncho tarp. We have the Deschutes and the Deschutes Plus. Those are both uh, kind of pyramid mid-style shelters, um, 44 square feet of space, you know, weigh about a pound. Um, we wow. make the Haven Tent Tarp, which, you know, is a great two-person shelter. And then all of those tarps, you can clip in one of our various net tents and have a nice lightweight two-way, two-wall shelter if you want. Um, then you have our Skyscape Scout. It's our 40-ounce tent, one single person. Retails for $135. So if you're new to ultralight or backpacking and you want to get a good one-person tent that's affordable, that's our entry-level affordable tent. Um, and then we have the Skyscape Trekker, which is the same design. It's got two vestibules. It's got two doors. It's lighter. Uh, it's a higher-end material. It's a little bit more money. And then we have our Lunar Duo, which is a great, humongous two-person tent. Um, and we make that in two varieties. We make the Lunar Duo Outfitter, which is our entry-level kind of two-person tent. Then we make that same tent out of an all-sale nylon product, and we call it our Lunar Duo Explorer, and it retails for like three twenty-five. And um, it's a really nice, lightweight two-person option. Yeah, it's big enough you can actually have four people that sit in it, play, play a game of cards. We call it the backcountry palace yeah. because it's so <laughs> big. You know, most two people, two-person tents are two-person tents if one person is laying down and one person is sitting up. So you can't have two people <laughs> sit up simultaneously, let alone four people be able to sit up in it, you know, weather storm. And that's it's 40 ounces, but it still has, you know, Two doors, two vestibules, plenty of room, you know. Um, so it's well, I was absolutely surprised. I set up uh, Lunar Solo that uh, that I got, mm -hmm. and I couldn't believe how big it was. I'm a big dude, mm -hmm. and yeah. I'm just like, hey, man, this thing's right on. You know, it it it, it does even for the solo. Right. I mean, I I I was looking at it. I was laying in there, and I I thought, man, one of my daughters could easily fit in here with me. Well, I have the design philosophy of an 18-hour tent which is basically what's it going to be like if I'm stuck in this thing for 18 hours, which is not uncommon, you know, if you're on a trail and you're in a big blow, yep. you know, and something comes in and you're stuck there, you know, like noon one day and you're coming out maybe the morning the next day, you know, that's a long time to be sitting in a tent. And if it's, it's just above your face and you're lying there, that's just Ooh. misery. Yeah. And so I want something that you can sit in, you can organize your gear, you know. Um, somebody else can sit in there with you if you want to. We call them one-person plus tents, one-and-a-half-person things, simply because you want to have enough space to be comfortable in but still be light, you know. And too many tents that were designed in that era were, were just, they were heavy, and that you couldn't sit up in them, you know. Can you talk a little bit about, um, what, is it like a, like a rain jacket type thing you guys have too. Um, it's like a, a converts into a tent or oh, something. The gatewood cut, the gatewood cape. I'll let Ron talk about that since that's his, his favorite. Okay. Yeah. Well, the gatewood cape is one thing that I've used primarily over the last more than a decade. Um, it's also the um, the tent that uh, Billy Goat uh, or shelter the Billy Goat carried, and he he put over ten thousand miles on one of them. Wow. Um, with multiple hikes, and uh, it's a sh it's uh, the only rain gear slash shelter that provides uh, full 360 protection, both as rain gear and as a shelter. 
Uh, most people were, and before that were using ponchos. And a poncho is just a square piece of material with a hole cut at the top for a hood. But the, if you're familiar with the poncho, it's got big open slits on both sides. So the wind just blows in and right through it. Um, and then when you set up a poncho as a shelter, it's a, it's a flat tarp. And you get a back end and maybe a little drape, drape on the front and two open ends on both sides so the wind can blow right through. The cape. Um, the Gatewood Cape goes full 360 protection. No matter which way the wind's blowing, you've got full protection. You've got 35 square feet of coverage inside of it. You get a nice, comfortable hood. Um, it drapes over your back when you, your backpack when you're wearing it. Um, it weighs 12 ounces, um, so it's fully. And I, I've used it for a decade or more, and I've never gotten wet in it. And I've camped at 12,000 feet many times. Um, and thunderstorms and rainstorms and lightning storms. and Have you sat in it for 18 hours? Uh, close, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of times it was uh, pretty close to that because we would get, you know, high, high altitude. Like in um, Colorado, if you ever hike this through hike the, the CDT, Colorado storms usually hit about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and when those storms roll in, you do not want to be out walking on a ridgeline. You know, it's thunder and lightning, so you, you're up shelter, you're inside, and you maybe you can, it'll pass, and you can hike some more, but generally, by the time they hit, you're in there for the rest of the day. Yeah, there's videos on YouTube of uh, people using the Gateway Cape in, like, snow situation. There's a video on YouTube that's been out for years of a guy set it up and snowed on him, and he woke up in the morning, and it was like a foot of snow around him, at least, so that's wow. fun to watch. That's fun. Um, Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, but uh, just real quick, um, I, I just want to say that I like that you offer that. I mean, you, you know, it just it, it just kind of rounds it all off, you know. Mm -hmm. But let's let's dive into the packs a little bit. Uh, you know, what what do you guys offer? Right. Are they are, are are you pretty much just overnight packs, or what are you guys offering? Yeah, all of our packs. I mean, we, our smallest pack is a thirty liter pack. It's called the Flight Thirty. Uh, it's really designed for fast packing or people that like to do trail running. It's a thirty liter pack. Um, but before we kind of get there, all of our packs are um, really designed with suspension in mind. So I think if you were to look at the overall market that we're in, the cottage pack manufacturers and, you know, some of our contemporaries, whether it's Hyperlight or um, ULA or Gossamer Gear or, you know, any of the other brands out there, I think one thing you're going to realize is that a lot of those packs, it's, a, it's like a tube with shoulder straps sewn in. They might have some load lifters, and that's about it for suspension. Our pack is really designed to have a whole entire suspension system that's integrated. Um, so Ron spent a really long time working on that system. Um, most of our packs can either be run with a vest system or a traditional shoulder yoke system. Um, but all of our packs are designed to transfer the load really down into your hips, like a traditional pack does, and still be pretty lightweight. Anything you want to expand on that, Well, just Ron? out of curiosity real quick on that, then, I mean, since you brought it up, um, do all your packs then have hip belts as well? So I know yeah. some people like like to not have those. So well, they're optional. I mean, okay. for depending upon what you're using, like if you're using like the Flight 30, which is a running pack, um, it has a vest is this is this main um, com uh, support component. So all the lo load is transferred across your chest, and then um, some people add a hip belt to it for for either from a, a little additional stabilization or mostly because it has some pretty large pockets, and that gives them additional pockets. So you got pockets in the vest oh, and pockets yeah. in the hip belt. Um, but 
all the weight is transferred to your core and you don't really need to have a hip belt. Um, and the nice thing about it is even though it's 30 liters, when you're running, it's on your back and it does not move. So you can run around corners, you can run down scree slopes, you can do all kinds of stuff. And normally there's a, there's a, a, a fractional delay on a pack when you do a quick turn. You know, you move and then the pack moves and then the pack kind of wants to keep moving. <laughs> well, in these cases, it locks in and you can get full, full freedom of movement. But all of the packs in the ultralight world started out basically from the breeze point of view, which was Ray Jardines, you know, the grocery st sack with shoulder straps, <laughs> you know, and everybody said, Okay, well, we want a little bit, carry a little more weight than that can carry comfortably. So we all added some sort of structure, you know. None of us knew what we were doing, but we just, you know, people asked for it. So we added structure. We kept adding structure. But, you know, we took a break several years ago and, and re-engineered re the entire architecture of, and sat down and said, what does a pack do? How do you, how does the load get transferred down through the pack, out to the hips? You know, started from scratch and, and completely, you know, threw away all of our existing designs and said, okay, how do we start with the frame and then build a pack around that um, and just change the whole concept of, of what was done? Um, and, but still make it light, you know, because you, you, you don't want to make it, Seven pounds, like yeah. an ordained design yeah. pack. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make it still light. And so we right. had to start all over again and understand the whole concept of weight trans load transfer, how materials work and how the load comes down through the material and it gets radiated out around your waist. And, um, and once we figured that out, then we could build a pack around that. And um, now we're in the process of lightening the pack so it's back down to a, a lighter, more acceptable through hiker weight but it all of our our basic packs can hold at least you know 60 percent more weight comfortably than any of the other com competitive packs in that range and, and yeah i'll probably test that because you just did some water carries on the oregon desert trail right yeah i mean i think really we should look at our packs from like the high like our, our load our load piece down to our lighter pack so our fusion series of packs comes in a 15 to 65 liter pack. And um, I hadn't really carried a big 50 liter pack in years. Um, but going on the Oregon Desert Trail, I knew I was going to have at least two stretches with five to six days of food. So right there, that's 12, 14 pounds. And then in addition, due to the heat and the water carries, we were carrying three gallons of water. Wow. So now you're talking 24 pounds of water in your pack. So you throw a 15-pound base weight or, you know, my base weight on that hike was heavier because we had to be self-sufficient. We had to be reliant that if something broke in the field, we knew there was nowhere to get it repaired. So you better have a kit to be able to fix stuff with you. So I took a little heavier base weight on that trip. So probably leaving Rome Station, my longest carry, my pack was probably pushing 51 pounds. And there is no way I could have carried 51 pounds in my frame or some rucksacks in the past or even some of my more ultralight packs that have a stay in them. Um, but that Fusion Series, honestly, the suspension, I'm not just saying that because I'm the salesperson. It's like, as a user who's hiked thousands and thousands of miles, the suspension on that pack was pretty incredible that it didn't really feel like a 50-pound pack when I had it on. A um, couple other things I really like about the packs are they're durable. Um, I just did 265 miles of bushwhacking through some of the sharpest, roughest terrain in the lower 48, and my pack doesn't have a hole. Um, 
and my pack from the CDT, the outer mesh pocket, looks like somebody just took a straight razor to it one day <laughs> from getting caught on a branch on a blowdown. Um, so our, our, you know, our Fusion series is a little bit heavier than maybe some people carry, um, but it has a, some really nice features. It has a full spine with a made stay, which really transfers the load. The hip belt has dual adjustments, so you can really adjust it to your hips the way you want it. Um, it's got great outer pockets, which I really, really loved on that pack. And then the other thing is the way it's designed is with that spine that is transferring the whole suspension and the whole weight, um, the pack's not all against your back. So there's a very small strip of material that's up against your back where you're sweating, and the rest of your back has a lot of airflow. And that's a big difference between a lot of packs in our class, too, that it is very breathable and very comfortable to wear yeah. all day. Um, so then you go from our Fusion series, you go down to our Minimalist pack. Um, that's Brandon's uh, brainchild. It's a 50-liter pack. I'll let Brandon speak about that a little bit. Um, yeah, so the Minimalist pack is kind of based on the, the frame from the Flight 40. Uh, so it has a, a Delrun hoop, uh, shaped in like a, kind of like a light bulb, uh, that's designed to, uh, carry load at the top. Um, so you have load lifters that, that, is, that are kind of resting on at the top and then it's, it's a light bulb shape cause it comes together at the bottom right behind where the hip belt uh, terminates. So that, that also will carry the load and kind of transfer the load directly from the top of the pack all the way down to the hip belt. Um, not out to the edges of the pack, uh, where it doesn't, where it's not really supporting anything. Uh, and then um, some of the features, I guess, of the backpack besides the uh, the spine would be um, a large a large rear pocket uh, made out of also the same kind of really strong uh, stretchy uh, exterior fabrics. And then we have a, a taller pocket on one side from possibly your like your uh, tent or something that might be taller. And then you have a water bottle pocket on the other side, so a, a lower pocket. It also has um, some uh, side compression, so some cord compression that. Uh, can help sink the whole thing down. And then uh, to finish it all off at the top, you have a, a larger extension collar that we put on other packs before. We wanted to have a little bit more flexibility in for through hiking. So you, sometimes you never know you're leaving the town, you need that extra stay, space sometimes. And then uh, over top of that, we have a, another flap that folds over top of the, the, of the extension collar that has a, uh, a stuff pocket. So it has just kind of a, an open at one end uh, mesh pocket. You can kind of just shove um, gloves, uh, a beanie, a hat or something like that in there that you can just get to easy accessible. And then we also have a, a like a zippered pocket, a water resistant zippered pocket that you can put maps and stuff into. Yeah. So then rounding out our line, we have our flight 40 FKT, which is a 40 liter pack really designed for people fast packing. Um, people kind of doing a lighter load. It can be worn with, it comes with the, the vest, um, or you can switch it out to a standard shoulder yoke. Um, it's a really nice 40-liter pack. It is missing the big mesh pocket on the front, but it does have um, some bungee to be able to strap stuff down. And then we have our Flight 30 that we briefly touched on, which is really designed for kind of ultra-running, ultra-marathoners, things like that. Um, so that kind of rounds out our backpacking line. We make a backpack called the Flex Pack. Um, that pack was specifically designed off of our Fusion Series suspension for pack rafters. So most pack rafters are going to carry an additional 8 to 9 pounds of gear. Um, that pack is a clamshell design. It pairs very nice with a dry bag that we provide with it for our consumer. Um, so it's really designed for you to be able to put all your gear in a dry bag, throw your, your uh, pack raft on the bottom, put your paddle on the side, your PFD, strap it all down, and go on out and do a pack rafting trip. And then one thing we make that I don't think a lot of people know about is we do make some traveling gear. Um, both Ron has traveled around the world extensively for his life. I've done quite a bit myself. Um, and Brandon does a fair amount for work. 
Um, so we have a really nice travel pack. It's a panda loader. It's really designed for the person who's kind of the, the you know, modern globetrotter that's got to, you know, probably go overseas for business, but then wants to take a hike for a week and weather overseas. Um, you can put our one of our various different hip belts on there. has a nice shoulder suspension, so you could use it just like a regular backpack. And then to round that out, we also make the e-pouch, which is kind of like a little satchel for all your electronics and passport and everything you might carry when you're traveling. And then we have uh, pack pods that are these really nice lightweight still nylon pods for keeping organized. Yeah, those pack pods are pretty amazing. Good deal, too. Yeah, yeah three packs, pretty cheap, and uh, yeah, they're great. Right on. Uh, I kind of want to take a quick step back uh, after going through all the product. Can you talk a little bit about the design itself? Uh, because I mean, you've got you've taken this all the way through, and how has that progressed? Because I mean, I I can't even fathom how you would just design a tent uh, with without a whole lot to work with. Um. Well, that's a good question. Um. <laughs> One thing I try to do is I try not to design um, the same type of product twice in a row because um, like if I'm going to design a tent the next thing I'm going to design is not being is not going to be a tent okay because you don't want to bring you don't want to bring your past ideas into your your current thing you want to come up with something fresh in that um, so if I working on a tent the next thing I'll do is a pack or something entirely different than that because that kind of tends to flush out um, the old stuff. The other thing it does is sometimes I'll be working on, on a problem like a tent and I get to a point where I'm not totally happy with it and um, I move on to something entirely different because what happens with anything is you get stuck on something and then you just get in like an infinite loop and you just... you. You try to solve the same problem over and over and over again, but you come up with the same solution over and over and over again. And so moving on to something entirely different, you know, allows that project to sort of hang around in the back of your head. You know, just kind of simmers there, like on the back burner, and your, your, your forethoughts on something else that you're working on. And while you're working on that, you know, this thing is going on back here, sort of independent of itself. And every now and then, when you solve a problem here on something entirely different, you realize that there's a little duality in that, that that problem, you know, may not be exactly what you were solving, trying to solve over here, but there's enough crossover that it triggers something, okay? And he says, you get those eureka moments, says, oh, yeah, geez, why could I think <laughs> of that, you know, like six weeks ago when I was working on right. that, you know? So then you now you've got a solution you know, to the, the, the tent. The other thing is, is that I like, I, I sew all my own prototypes. A lot of people don't. They design stuff and then they hand it off to somebody to just, just sew it. But I know be, before I sit down there and even sit down at a computer, you know, and, and draw it out on CAD system, a tent or a pack or whatnot, I'm analyzing every seam every feature, every zipper, every compartment in my head for probably a month, at least a month, sometimes longer than that. You know, so that when I sit down there and start drawing things out, I have a pretty good conceptual idea of what I'm, I'm looking for, and then I go and sew it. 
And the advantage to that for me is the fact that when it's out there for a while, okay, and then somebody has a problem or I need to improve it, somebody comes back, a bunch of people come back and say, I got this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem with it. I've spent so much time with it. I can hear what they're saying. I can analyze it, and I can put those improvements in there. A lot of times what happens is you have a product that gets, like, up to here, okay? It's not really done yet, you know, but it's and it's a popular product, but then it, the, it wanes in terms of popularity. And what happens is the designer is gone, okay? So the company dumps it, nah. okay? But it could be... Just a few small minor tweaks to make it a fantastic product again, but nobody knows, you know, how to incorporate that. They don't even know how to listen to the customer's complaints just so they know how to tr translate that into something. We did that with our Lunar Solo. We had a Lunar Solo out that was a popular tent for a long time. And then a few years back, you know, it started waning on popularity. And I went back and dug out some of the, the feedback we got from customers. And I spent one day... Just <laughs> one day, you know, in CAD, redesigning a few things, a few panels, moving things around a little bit, sewing up a prototype, took it, took it to the uh, manufacturer, made, made one prototype, took it to the manufacturer, and it's back to becoming a number one tent. It's been that way for six years. You know, just because, you know, I had the knowledge of what was there before, how it was, and could incorporate what people were talking about and, and solve those problems, you know. But it's very difficult if, if you're not, you don't have that continuous. So that being said, um, is Six Moon Designs right now in the process of refining a lot of their their current line, or is there anything new in the horizon? So the stages we're in right now, I believe, is we're going to be uh, kind of all, we have several options several ideas going on we're, we're in the middle of uh kind of defining our current product line um getting the word out about a lot of our product lines whitney's part of the uh, the sales and marketing part um and then going forward we will kind of evaluate our line and to see if if any modifications need to be changed in terms of products or uh seeing what else seeing what else the, the market might need uh, and for our for our backpacks and tents um so there's a lot of flexibility in terms of what might, go, might be happening going forward. Yeah, I think I came on board with a lot of ideas. Um, I bet. But once again, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you got to kind of crawl, walk, and run. And um, I think, you know, Anything you do should be very measured and very sustainable. And I think, like Brandon said, I think right now we're really just trying to make sure what we got is refined and it works before we start jumping into a bunch of new stuff. So you'll probably see some stuff from us in 2020, 2021. But um, I don't think we, we're lucky in the fact that we're not like some of these big box brands that, you know, have 80% of the marketplace that they get to put something out new every year, almost like apparel of a new color or a little tweak or a well, new pattern. That was going to be my question. When are you guys going to put lights on the tent? Lights on a tent? No, no lights. <laughs> but, but I think I think Ron, Ron got it. <laughs> I think that's I think that is one thing though is like we don't we don't feel the pressure to have to every year come out with something brand new just for the sake of having something new. We're going to make sure our products are refined and are going to work and fit a need in the marketplace before we put it out. 
Right on, guys. Well, I think that wraps it up. I appreciate you coming on the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having Thank us. You. Thank you. This has been awesome. Yeah. All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash Cascade Hiker Podcast. Also, hit me up uh, with an email, Rudy at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at in underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine in the sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. Could never be wrong. Could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass. Playing mandolin in a white dress. I come running when I hear that song. It could never be wrong. It could never be wrong. Where you want to run, baby, I'll run too. I would leave this world for a beautiful girl if I could just find you.